Welcome to Firefighting in Canada, the podcast, brought to you by First Alert, safety you can trust. You've tuned in for compelling conversation on hot topics impacting Canada's fire service. From Hope, BC, I'm Fire Chief Tom DeSorcy. The discussion around minimum training standards has been around for a while and certainly was launched in British Columbia back in 2014. And it's a discussion that's starting to, uh, well, it is across Canada in, uh, in setting up, uh, at least in impacting the volunteer fire world. Craig Richardson is with the Office of the Fire Commissioner of British Columbia. Craig is a fire service training specialist and joins us today on the podcast. Craig, it's a pleasure to have you here. Welcome. Yeah, thanks for having me, Tom. It's great to be here. In, in 2014, we're talking about the minimum training standard in a, in a document that came out and was called the playbook in British Columbia back in 2014. Uh, I want to talk about that. I want to talk about the history and where it's at today as because the province has updated it and, and recreated it. But first, maybe about you. You've been involved in our business for, for quite a few years. I mean, tell us your story real quick. I, I started uh, in the late 80s as a, as a volunteer auxiliary firefighter and then uh, started my career service shortly thereafter and uh, worked for a couple of large departments, Surrey and uh, in BC. And uh, I retired in 2017 as the fire chief in the city of Nanaimo on Vancouver Island. And since then, um, like, like many of us in our business, you just can't let go. Uh, you want to you keep contributing and, and have things to offer. So since then, I've spent, uh, I spent a year working in the Middle East in the uh, petrochemical safety, fire safety um, uh, industry. Uh, and then uh, I was the director at the Justice Institute Fire and Safety Division for a couple of years. And then I've done a bit of consulting. And then this opportunity came up at the Office of the Fire Commissioner um, which, which has been, you know, significantly uh, ramping up their service to the to the BC Fire Services in, in the recent time, uh, and I'm really happy to be here, still contributing. Training has always been my my passion in the fire service, so it's it's great to be in this role and uh, be able to support our our fire departments in, in British Columbia. In 2014, when the playbook came out, um, it, it, what what did you make of it? You know, in your role at the time and where you were. Yeah, in 2014, I was the fire chief in Nanaimo, and uh, when the when the uh, playbook came out, and uh, and I felt that it was really good because uh, even though Nanaimo was a you know fairly large city, we still were composite and had some some on call and volunteer members, and we also had an island that stood on its own off of Vancouver Island that was volunteer, and it was difficult for us to meet uh, full NFPA thousand and one and and ten twenty one for for all of our all of our members, our full time staff. It was you know much much easier. Uh, so I thought it was very timely to to have something that could that the local authorities could actually scale uh, and and establish their own level of service. Um, I actually think the biggest component of the playbook when it was launched was it caused local authorities to actually identify, quantify, and declare uh, what level of fire service they were they were going to deliver, uh, and then that couched uh, all of their training programs. It was a validation locally for us. I was in a position personally where I was creating a fire department still, even though it was 2000 when it began, that we were putting three fire departments together and we were in transition. It was a game changer for us, really. It was validation for me to, to say, this is why I'm doing what we have to do. We lost members. We, we did lose members at the time because of it. And uh, which, good or bad, 
that this is the way we're training now and we are uh, endorsed by this or at least validated by the province. So was that kind of the reaction that was, I mean, were you connected outside of Nanaimo, for example, to see, especially around your area in Vancouver Island in that time, the, the smaller departments, were they reacting in the same way that you did? Yeah, I think there was a little bit of shock at first. I, I, I think the volunteer fire service in particular is really, you know, has been an evolution over the years. Uh, and a lot of fire departments, I mean, we have to be honest, they're, they're struggling to maintain members, they're in really small communities, and it was really difficult for them to meet full NFPA standards. Uh, and there, there was, I, th I think that was the intent of the playbook was to say, okay, if you want to just be an exterior fire department and, and you don't necessarily want to put people interior situations, what is the minimum pieces of that NFPA standard that you need to train your people to do in order to keep them safe? Firefighter safety is the, is the, is the, the cornerstone of why the playbook um, you know, was established. The playbook uh, then and the playbook now, well, that term is, is sort of not being bounced around anymore that the playbook is is what was that was the what was the working words back in 2014 correct yeah and it's interesting how that playbook evolved because um i mean the the, the british columbia fire services act has required the fire commissioner to establish uh, minimum training standards since 1979 when the when the act first came out uh and it had typically been full nfpa standards um that was that was the easy uh adoption for the fire commissioner to just say we're going to follow nfpa you know, the, the fire departments were realizing that was a, a big lift to be able to meet those, uh, all the job performance requirements of those standards. So the playbook actually wasn't created by the Office of the Fire Commissioner. It, it came from the fire service. Uh, the BC Fire Training Officers Association was a huge, huge driver. Uh, and it was actually established and built by that, uh, that group with consultation and other groups. And then thereafter, it was endorsed by the fire commissioner at the time as the minimum standard, which replaced full full NFPA. Um, so now that it's called the training standard, uh, it, it's, it's actually the revision was done by the OFC, Office of the Fire Commissioner. And now it's their document, they're driving it, they've, they've recognized the value in it. And um, it's, uh, it's called the training standard because that aligns with the language in our Fire Services Act. And obviously, I mean, it's in BC and it's not, I don't think it's strictly limited to British Columbia, but fire departments are not necessarily required in any community, right? I mean, that that's, the public doesn't really realize that. The public thinks this is, it has to have a fire department when I get the reaction still, I'm sure you do, when you actually tell members of the public, it's not a requirement. Yeah, in British Columbia, it's not a requirement to have a fire department. But what is a requirement um, is uh, is if if a local authority decides to establish a fire department through a bylaw or whatever process they might use, they they're bound by their worker uh, occupational health and safety regulations in whatever province they're in. And um, the the key principles that flow out of that is um, if you're going to ask people to do certain tasks in a work in a workplace environment, and even volunteer firefighters in British Columbia are considered workers under our legislation, uh, you have to do two things. One is train them uh, to do those tasks you're gonna ask them to do. And the second is supervise them when they do that. Uh, and that was a, an eye opener for a lot of volunteer fire services that really didn't have structure around those types of things. It was uh, you know, community members wanting to do the right thing for their community, but lacking some of that guidance uh, to make sure that everybody stayed safe. So, uh, yeah, and once, once a community decides they're going to establish a fire department, um, they, they, they need to follow certain regulations and our minimum training standard here in British Columbia is one of those. 
from the nuances, I guess the changes, if you will, from 2014 to today and this rendition, uh, this edition of the of the training standards, what stands out as the biggest change, uh, the biggest additions, or the biggest, I guess, removals, if any? What are the what are the what are the standouts for the for the current edition? I think we learned a lot from 2014 when the when the playbook rolled out. Um, as with any new program, you you know you never really fully understand what the implication is to the fire service uh, or the user. And um, we were able to to I think clean up a lot of the uh, add clarification around a lot of the um, the questions when the playbook first came out. Things like when can people make an interior fire attack and when when can they not under this training standard and the the realization that it's functional based the the training standard is entirely based on the function that a fire chief or a fire officer will ask somebody to do in their in their department so if you if you want if you want someone to do x you need to train them if you don't want them to do x you don't have to train them to do that uh, and that was a revelation as well here in british columbia where a lot of the fire departments uh, initially thought under the playbook that any member of their department had to be trained to be compliant with the with the playbook and wh where we've landed now is uh, at you know at identifying support functions that take place on the fire ground so many departments are struggling with recruitment and retention and if they don't want to have somebody actually on the end of a hose line fighting fire they may have people in the community that are capable of driving the fire truck or providing support functions outside of the hot zone. It allows for that to take place uh, in this training standard. And those decisions are made at the local level. The, the local government gets to set their level of service uh, and then, then they must comply with training people to meet that. In 2014, um, I know there was certain amount of pushback uh, when this first came out. What's the reaction now from the fire departments, you've been traveling around the province. You've been speaking with the with the with the different fire, uh, different areas, and different fire departments. What's the reaction now with the, with the new uh, the, the the updates coming out? Yeah, it's been received very well. I think uh, I think as I said, we've learned a lot at the office of the fire commissioner since 2014, and uh, and I think the fire service has as well. And I don't think the volunteer fire service was used to being regulated. Uh, and now they, they, they're coming, you know, warming up to the fact that uh, this is in the interest of their members. Uh, they have a lot of flexibility in how they apply the training standards uh, and they like having the guidance because it's, it manages risk, um, you know, at, the, at their local government level. They, they, they have confidence that they're, um, that they're meeting a minimum standard and, and that their own risk is managed. You know, we, we've, we've seen a change in terms of fire departments 2014 had a lot of maybe older members that have been around. And I don't necessarily mean old in age, but old in experience. And in terms of being around for a while, do you think there's been a bit of a turnover and maybe it's being received more readily because that's what the, that's what the new generation of firefighter wants when they sign up? I, I think you're right, Tom. I think uh, people are used to having more, more, um, uh, more, rigid standards to meet whether it's uh, in their their personal life their work life or their volunteer or or even career fire service uh, you know people people like to have that guidance i know the chiefs rather than being uh, left to figure some of this stuff out for themselves they, they like to have um, some guidance that says here's what i need to do as my minimum and and you know as well as i do in some of the smaller departments fire chiefs change you know annually every couple of years there's always somebody new in there so whatever guidance they have um, when they when they sit in the chair for the first time uh, is is a huge benefit for them and, and they're appreciative of that 
Well, in particular in the volunteer fire world, I mean, it was standard industry in volunteer firefighting that the fire chief did change every couple of years. And it was at the whim of the membership who voted that person in. Uh, succession planning was simply an annual general meeting. Uh, there was no succession planning. You might have been a deputy or an assistant, and now it's your turn. That's as close as it got. Um, I think that generation maybe has changed a bit. But then again, there's a lot of criticism toward these kind of uh, approaches and, and levels of training because of the state we're in. You mentioned it. The volunteer fire service is in a tough time right now. Um, I guess I'm thinking this is a positive moving forward, but I'm sure there's those that think it's, it's going to be a negative to our, to our business. Yeah, I, I, I believe it's a positive, and I'm, and I'm hearing a lot from the, the fire chiefs in the small and rural communities, because what, what this is actually doing now is it's giving the fire chief something to take to his board or his council or her, her board or council and say, this is the standard I need to meet. Uh, and, and, you know, there, there's some funding that's going to be required and some support from the local government. I think volunteer fire services, uh, maybe they've been run by societies, they've been at arm's length from the from their local government. And I think that the training standard uh, and going back to the playbook has caused the um, the payers, I guess, for lack of a better term, the, the local government folks to, to, to be more in sync with what's happening in their fire department. I think prior to that, a lot of local governments uh, were quite happy to just allow the fire department to do their thing and, and that box was ticked. Uh, but this has caused them to work work more closely together and uh, and I think for the betterment of the firefighters and the communities. That's a good point. I think I think I've always stressed and I, I've, I think yeah I think about this for a while that the the relationship that a local government has had with a volunteer fire department has often been this is a local group that we are using for fire protection or we call upon them to provide it. Nowadays more and more local governments I hope are realizing that the fire department works for you. They, they are your employees because, again, if you're paid on call, you are an employee. This is your fire department. You're not just using a community group to provide a service. This is your fire department. And now you have to take responsibility for them. That's important. Yeah, absolutely. That was a huge awareness, I think, that came out in 2014 with the first playbook was that, um, you know, volunteer fire services, at least in British Columbia, are, are workers under our legislation. And, uh, and uh, I, I think that was an eye opener for the local governments and the fire services. I, I would you consider this? I mean, is it it's been eight years now since it came out, uh, seven, eight years. Is it is this a modernization or is it not enough time to be called that? I don't know if it's a it's a modernization. I, I think what it is that is is it takes um, the, the 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 fire service and the work that we all do, whether it's paid or not, um, and it, it puts a framework around it that allows us to um, to to have confidence that we're operating safely. Uh, that my fellow firefighters are going to be uh, are going to be competent to back me up. Uh, and that we're going to be able to operate safely on the fire ground and, and uh, there, you know, it works for the, for the citizens that we serve and also keeps the firefighters safe. So I think it's a really, really good thing. And I've seen others uh, looking at this quite closely. Um, one of the things I didn't mention is that I, I sit on the committee on accreditation for the pro board who does the uh, accreditation of the fire academies throughout the world. And um, the, I know that they're, you know, they have looked at this and NFBA has looked at, uh, at these these levels of exterior, interior, and full service versus the um, the, the NFPA thousand and one, you know, firefighter one, firefighter two, so it is causing others in throughout North America to look at what 
is happening here in British Columbia and, and take a bit of a different approach to um, minimum training standards. I know that across Canada, as you mentioned, other parts of North America, and certainly across Canada, some of the provinces have now started to endorse that. Uh, in Ontario is doing it, uh, I believe, and uh, have talked to them about that. Um, what other reaction or, I guess, um, response are you getting or is, is, are we hearing from across Canada? I haven't heard from any other provinces. I know that Ontario has adopted something very, very similar. Uh, and I think for the same reasons, it all comes down to, um, you know, how do we be efficient and effective, right? What, how do we make sure that whatever we're asking our people to do, they can do it safely. Uh, and that if a community doesn't have the ability to uh, support full-time uh, full service fire services, what can they provide? And then how do they do that safely? What's the difference uh, for those that are, are wondering and maybe hearing about this for the first time, the difference obviously between exterior interior kind of speaks for itself or has it changed? I know exterior was based or interior was based on that um, uh, atmosphere that, that was dangerous to life and health. Is, is that the basis now, or has that been, that been more been clarified? Yeah, that's still the basis. And I think uh, the, the, the original group that uh, created the playbook landed on, exterior uh, firefighting, interior firefighting, and full service as the three levels. And each local authority has the ability to select one of those three levels that they want to provide. Um, and uh, there was some contention around exterior, uh, the exterior level. And, you know, when can we go in and search for somebody and, uh, you know, potentially if there's people in a, in a structure uh, and even the overhaul phase afterwards. But it, quite frankly, there are fire departments who just do not have the, the, the capacity to do that. Their people are not willing to do it. They're small communities. Their goal is to, is to fight fire from the outside to protect exposures. Uh, and they, they, never, they never have a need to go inside. And then the ones that would like to go inside will select the interior level, which is, again, a few more additional job performance requirements from the NFPA standards. Uh, and then those that have um, uh, typically full-time departments that have the capacity and resources to meet full NFPA standards and provide a, uh, a higher level of um, you know, urban kind of uh, fire protection uh, would select a full service level. Uh, so it, the, the premise is it, it gives the local authority the, the option of selecting a level. Um, they don't have to select the highest level. They can select the level that's appropriate to their community and then train their people accordingly. The additions or changes, you alluded to some of them, maybe uh, uh, again, dropping into that in terms of, you mentioned the driver part of it. You mentioned the other uh, pullouts. What, what are they exactly that has been the, the major changes uh, to, to the playbook? Yeah, so the, the, the training standard and the playbook have always been based on one of those three levels, exterior, interior, and full service. And then there are functions within each level. Uh, and the functions uh, start from firefighter. Uh, the old playbook had firefighter and what was called a team leader. Uh, those were the only two functions. Uh, and again, that flows back to the worker uh, safety regulations to train people for the job that you're going to ask them to perform. Uh, the new training standard has added uh, the, the, the laddering now is firefighter, um, driver operator, uh, and then a team leader, which is somebody who would supervise a, 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 you know, a, a, a team of firefighters, incident safety officer, and then incident commander. So we've added some functions and added clarity around uh, what are the minimum requirements to perform those functions. And again, the department only needs to train people um, who are going to do those functions to do those functions. They don't have to train everybody to do everything. 
which is a good clarification to know because when you first took a look at it personally to see that you can actually separate that and have that one designated that that may or should make a big difference and i'm sure you'd hope it would in a lot of smaller communities with regard to the duties of the local government so we we make our declaration we've done that what changes is there any additions of accountability is there going to be some certifications come down the road what's the future moving forward well, the future moving forward, so this, the new training standard it, it needs to be adopted by uh, local authorities by March of 2024. So there's some time to rebuild the, the training programs. But I think one of the other pieces that, that I think has been improved since the, the playbook was first launched in 2014 is the number of methods that are available for a local authority to, to achieve the training standards. Um, it, it's intended to be, so, so the Office of the Fire Commissioner sets the standard and the, then the local government verifies that they're meeting it. So the, the Office of the Fire Commissioner isn't gonna be auditing and, and, and checking up on folks. It's up to the local authority to establish their own process to meet uh, to meet the minimum training standards. So they can have their own in-house training program. They can use third-party uh, training providers. Um, they can even look at pr prior training records and, and compare those um, across uh, the, the job performance requirements that are in each of the, the levels and functions of the training standards. So we've tried to make it, um, uh, we've tried to make it driven at the local level and be flexible for them to achieve uh, the training standards in a variety of different ways. When you talk, you, you briefly talked about, you know, yes, we have to fund it. We have to make some changes. Has that been a concern? Have you heard that from fire departments that said, this is something, a cost now that we can't uh, embrace? Absolutely. I think, you know, besides recruitment intention and being able to main, maintain a roster, uh, you know, dollars and, uh, and finances are, are obviously the, the core issues of any fire service, whether you're a small rural or a large urban. Um, but uh, at, at the end of the day, um, they, it all comes back to they don't have to provide a fire department. If they choose to, they can choose the lowest level of, of, of fire protection if they want. Uh, and um, it, it, it really does empower the local authorities to, um, uh, to have control uh, of their fire services and the level they're going to um, uh, going to achieve. Uh, here in the province of British Columbia, there are some grants uh, available, provincial grants, um, to help fund um, the, you know, the fire training and, and, and equipment that's required. Uh, and um, that's, that's just where it stands right now is it's, it's that evolution of getting the fire service to a place where a minimum training standard is met. I think, uh, you know, money is one thing I've always said, and uh, there's something that you can't provide or at least create is time. And, and that, that's gotta be a challenge as well. I mean, it's, it's no longer the the two hours on a on a weekly practice night. It's it's a little bit more of a, a little bit more of a commitment. I mean, again, that might be a generational thing. People are signing up and they know what they're signing up for. I I would think. Yeah. And turnover is another another concern too. I mean, every every fire department, I, I usually say they're in thirds, right? You've got you've got one third who are uh, who are brand new in training and they're they're working towards meeting the minimum standard. You've got a third who are there and just you know getting experience and then you've got another third who's ready to walk out the door and those uh you know for, for age or service or whatever and those three groups tend to uh tend to just keep continuing on we used to be afraid of being the farm team for the big leagues you know for being that volunteer fire department where people just were here for a short time and looking to enhance their training to to get a start into it as a career and i i personally now say 
there's, there's nothing wrong with that. I think that that's a, that's a testament to, to our training. And now we have training standards that we are following and uh, trying to get better. And I think that if they move on and get to a career in the fire service, they've uh, done us proud. I think that's the, that's the, that's the stance I take. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, you're, you're not alone in that, Tom. I've seen a lot of other departments adopt that strategy that uh, rather than fight it, um, use that as a recruitment and retention, um, you know, carrot to have people join your fire department. You know, people might want to move to your community if they know they're going to get good training. And if you get three years of service out of them before they leave for a, a full-time job somewhere, well, you've, you've had somebody there that's committed and, uh, and um, you know, learned along the way, and you've got to take advantage of that skill. Craig, I appreciate your time today. Thank you very much for doing this. It's a, it's a, it's a bold project and again, another, uh, a needed project and, uh, and uh, glad it's happening. And I'm sure the rest of Canada is uh, going to be embracing this as well. Thanks, Tom. It was my pleasure. And uh, I appreciate uh, the work that you do and uh, always happy to, to join you whenever. Thank you for joining Firefighting in Canada, the podcast brought to you by First Alert, safety you can trust. Visit firefightingincanada.com for more episodes.